0: If you have your scriptures, please turn to the 11th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. Oh, golly, what a worship time. Oh, golly, I can hardly talk. Boy, that song, how great thou art. That is just my favorite song in all the world. If I die when I'm here, I want you to see to it that that's the song at my funeral. I just... And that'll, you know, if I don't get up out of the casket and cry, then you know I'm really gone. You know I'm out of here. You know, that'll be the test. A word from the Lord this morning. Hopefully many words from the Lord, but an independent confirmation. A sister felt like the Lord was telling her for us this morning that he is not a God of the past. That we are to come to Him this morning and to begin with Him and to go with Him into the future. There couldn't be a better confirmation of what I am to preach to you this morning. Let's read the section after the Lord's Prayer that talks about how we ask God and how God gives. And he said to them, suppose, now this word in Greek is cute because it is kind of an axiom for it. Can any of you imagine this? And then what he, what he outlines is, a, is an incident that probably all of them has had. You know, who of us has not had company drop in, out of the blue? Can any of you have been totally unprepared? And so one of the ways that Jesus speaks to us is through our imaginings that have to do with everyday experiences, you know. Can you imagine this? One of you has a friend and shall go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. Now this is the kind of lending that you never get paid back for and you know you're not going to get paid back for. I mean, so when somebody comes over and borrows a cup of milk and says, can I borrow a cup of milk? You know, you know, and they're not borrowing that cup, you know. We all know that, don't we? Um, I have my kids all the time come to me and say, can I borrow a piece of candy? <laughs> yeah, but don't give it back when you're done. Um, it's one of those deals. For a friend of mine has come to me from a journey, now the Greek is literally off a journey, and the and the and the the common language would would give this picture fell on me off his journey that 's how it would literally translate into a figurative in a, in, into a figurative concept. A friend fell on me out, out off of his journey. Um, we who live on the way to Disney world know how it is don't we <laughs> I mean. They're buzzing down. They haven't seen us in 20 years. And they say to themselves, let's stop and see if they remember us, you know. And then they stand at the doorway and go, hello. And they don't tell you the names. And you're supposed to guess. And they think it's cute. It's not cute. They're falling on you. And it feels like, ugh. You know, it feels like, "Oh, I've just been falling on. A friend of mine has fallen on me from his journey. And I have nothing to set before him. Now, it was it was, I mean, in a, in, it is common courtesy today to bring some into your, somebody into your home. It's not necessarily common courtesy to feed them. I mean, if you can get out of it, it's okay, we say in our culture. But it wasn't okay back then. I mean, if somebody showed up, no matter what hour, no matter what day, they were to be fed. It's like going to your grandmother's house. And her not having any food there. I mean, she'd go all around the neighborhood. You know, the first thing you used to do when you went to your grandma's, like, what'd she do? She read the menu, didn't she? You know? Well, we've got Twinkies out here, and we've got, you know, and there's jam and this, and Joey, there's, you know, and just lined you up all there was to eat. Well, that's how it was in a Hebrew household. That was a sign of welcome. That was a sign that you are welcome. We will feed you. And from inside, uh, it says, I have nothing to suffer from here. And from inside... He shall answer and say, Do not bother me. Now, now this is where the contrast is. You notice there's not too much of a contrast between the householder and the Lord because if there was too much of a contrast, he could have made up a different story. He could have made up a story that said, And the householder cheerfully got up and gave him three loaves and said, Thank you for coming. And if a householder is willing to do that, how much more is the Lord willing to do that? Here comes the contrast. Do not bother me. Okay, It is a bother to this person. The, the, this Greek word used elsewhere in scripture means to toil or to work. Don't make me work. I've had enough work today. Don't load it on me. Do not bother me. The door has already been shut and my children are in bed. And how they, of course, they did in Hebrew households is you had one room. Everybody slept in one room. You, roll, you shut the door and usually it was a small family or small house with a big family and you rolled out mats and so for him to get up he would have had to crawl over every one of his kids unbolt the door and he was simply too tired do not bother me the door has already been shut and my children and I are in bed and I cannot give you, get up and give you anything I tell you Jesus is saying again even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend now watch this part Yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. Now let's just talk about this front part for a minute. I went through two stages in my Christian growth. One of them was when I, right after I was converted to Christianity... I went with full reasoning power to examine the scriptures and I thought if anything could discover God, it was the analysis of scripture. I was almost totally 100% reasoned to the extent that if it didn't say it in scripture and somebody experienced it differently, the experience they had was not valid. If I couldn't find it in scripture, anything that was not in scripture was not valid. Because I was so focused in on the analysis and the reasoning from Scripture. I was very fundamentalist. And I was very, very obsessed with the, only the truth that I could find in Scripture. It never occurred to me that my little brain might not interpret it as wide as it was meant. It only occurred to me that if I couldn't find it in Scripture, it wasn't real. But God worked on me, and I went through a second experience. And that was to say, no, experience is real. As a matter of fact, experience is very real. And if I experience it, and if I see it, then it doesn't have to match up with Scripture so much as just be of the Lord. That was kind of my charismatic uh, stage. And so I went through all of those experiences where experience was king. And I wanted to experience everything I read. Not only did I want to experience everything I read, I wanted to experience everything everybody else was experiencing. Very high peer pressure. One of the most pernicious untruths I found when I was in that stage of my spiritual growth. And by the way, both of those have their place. But... One of the most pernicious untruths I found when I was in that that stage was the name-it-and-claim-it philosophy, the philosophy that found scriptural support but had to cut out much of scripture to find scriptural support, the philosophy that made me secure because I could order anything done by God and he would have to do it in order to keep his promise. And so I took full rein. and I ordered, got around. Well, he didn't order so easy. And it dawned on me one day that I'd always been an. Ext- I'm, I'm, I've always, I've never had a middle gear. I mean, wherever I'm going, I go full bore. I just have never had a middle gear. But it dawned on me one time that the pendulum had swung so far. And that for both of those, I was having to cut out a good deal of of Scripture. And I was defeating my own end. It's kind of like the little boy who said, I'd give my left arm to be ambidextrous. (laughs) You know? if, If you have to cut out Scripture, if you have to cut out what God has given you in common sense, then you can't use the gift. And so... I have, I am. St- both of those are still a part of me, but I've come to the place where I really want to ask God in a way that He wants to be asked. I really want to ask God so that He will form me and not I form Him. You know, in, in Psalm 50 verse 21. God looks at us, God says to us, "You thought I was just like you." but it wasn't. So the whole attitude of how God gives is that the relationship provides us access but not necessarily results. Now let me say that again, I've got to write it. you write this down because you I didn't put it in there. When it says, He will not necessarily give it to you out of friendship but out of persistence. What the scripture is saying that the relationship that we have with God through Jesus Christ does not give us co-possession of all he has. It gives us access to all he has. It gives us access to him. Remember when you were a little kid? And you find out how much your dad made? That annual figure? My parents hid, you know, I mean, our, their finances were none of my business. But one day I overheard them talking, you know, and he was griping, he was saying, I make, and I think the figure was like $10,000 a year, which he, he was a factory worker, and she was a beautician. My mom was a beautician. And, uh, and they were griping about, just like we do, how can I make this much money and still be short, you know? Um... And so they were, no short jokes, cut that out. I know what you're thinking. Just remove it, no. <laughs> okay, and still be broke. Is that better? <laughs> Wiseacres. But anyhow, think and figure it was $10,000 a year. And I thought to myself, this guy makes $10,000 a year. I'm his son. I can have anything I want. <laughs> Him having it and me getting it were two different stories, right? <laughs> I remember asking my dad for a baseball mitt. And all the kids got baseball mitts at, at, at uh, Clacy's Sporting Goods Store. I mean, you, you want a baseball mitt, you go to a sporting goods store. Not my dad. They got Spalding's and Rawlings and all that kind of stuff. He took me to Western Auto it was an auto parts store that had a few sports things in there. And I got this, I can't even remember the name of the mitt. But, I, you know, he took, he took me in there. I, I was so excited going down. We drove right past the sporting goods store, took me down, stopped in front of the auto, auto parts store. And I looked and we went in and he said, well, try this one on in here. this—it's just And I was thinking, the kids are going to make fun of this mitt. And I looked at him and I said, Dad, They've got some really good mitts at Clay's sporting goods store. And he looked at me and said, Sonny, you want to play baseball or you want a fashion show here? What's wrong with that mitt? Well, I said, nothing, Dad. You know, because I didn't have, you know, I wouldn't have, you know, sassed him any more than that. That's about as far as I ever got with either of my parents, you know. And uh, so that's the mitt I got. And I'm thinking, not the only way out. This guy makes $10,000 a year. I got a $2.50 baseball mitt. What is the story? (laughs) What I learned later was, and what I learned all my life long, was my dad wasn't nearly as concerned with what I had as with what I was. You see. He wants to form me in his responses to my asking into a certain type of person. That's how God is. And so we can't presume on our relationship, God, I'm your son. You got cattle. How many times have you you said that? My father's got cattle on a thousand hills, right? Try to get him to sell a few of those for you. And he will when it is good for you when it develops you in the way he wants to see you developed. That's the key to this scripture. And part of what he tries to teach us in our asking is not that he's some cosmic gumball machine, some vending machine. If we put this in, we can choose from our gifts. He wants us to grow in maturity way past that into the place where we can learn that coming to him is more fun than whatever we get. Persistence, constant communication. Relationship is not always possession. You and I both know people in the church who have been a part of the church for years and they have something happen in their life and they drop out of the church Then they get all hurt because nobody comes to them. Well, I was part of that church for 20 years. They should have come to me. In other words, I should have stockpiled enough by that time that somebody would come and rescue me out of my distress. Who is supposed to be the persistent one here? The asker, the person in need. And what God is trying to say to us is that, yes, if you are constantly in communication, that eventually you will have your need met. But I want to teach you how important persistence is. I want to teach you how important perseverance is. I want you to continue to come to me and ask me, no matter what the response. Even if you see absolutely no response, I want you to keep coming to me. Because the result is not the point. You and I are the point. You and I are the point. God teaches us that persistence is what he responds to. The reason that persistence is what he responds to is because we ask for this stuff. Let's go into the next verses. He says, I say to you, Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. They're all present participles. It means keep on knocking until the door opens. Keep on asking until you get it answered. Keep on seeking until you find. That's what it means. It doesn't say, they're not, aorist tense means ask once. I, I, I ran into some folks one time and said, well, if you ask any more than once, that means you don't have any faith. No, it just means you're going to the Lord with your burden. You know, just saying, by the way, I mentioned this before, Lord, but let me mention it again. You know, isn't it good when somebody will continue to confide in you and they continue to keep up their, you know, just, just letting you know where they are so that you can at the proper time say, well, I could take care of that. You know, there's a there's a brother in this congregation who's going through a miserable time. And every once in a while, he'll say, "Let's just get together and let me give you an update." And the last time we got together, I said, "Brother, I appreciate so much the consistency that you let me know where you're at." Because I didn't say this to him, but but I said to myself, because at certain points I'll be able to jump in there and help. You know, the time will be right. And I will have a word fitly spoken from the Lord. At other times, I can't. I can just pray. I can just... Um, don't, don't ever let me say just pray. I can pray. <laughs> and I can, But I'm, I'm virtually helpless personally at the progress of the situation. So it is the consistency that God tries to teach us. It is also, though, the kind of prayers... God wants to mold us in our prayers. Before we even say the prayers, God wants to have something to do with how we ask. You know, your kids. You ever sit at the table and the kids, you know, the kids sitting there with a big chicken leg hanging on their mouth and say, give me the butter. What's the first thing you do? Hop on yeah, it. no way to ask for anything. What kind? Am I raising a bunch of animals here? You know? Give me the cheese for the spaghetti. You know? (laughs) Right. Yeah. Let's all wait on that, shall we? (laughs) One of the things God wants us to teach us is how to ask him. And so, it says, and not only how to ask, but what to ask for, and then to be open to what to look for. Now, watch this. It says, for everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and him who knocks it shall be opened. Now, there's a promise. God will answer persistent prayer. He will. However, look what it says next. Now, suppose one of your fathers is asked by a son for a fish, and he will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he asks for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Now, watch this. This is so neat. When we pray, God answers, does not answer immediately if He wants to teach us perseverance. Nor does He answer always with a direct. Reply with a direct reflection of what we just asked for. So that if we're not open to more than what we've asked for, we may not see his answer. Nowhere in that scripture does it say, if he asked for a fish, he'll give him a fish. If he asks for an egg, he'll give him an egg. It doesn't say that. He said, give good gifts. That's all it says. Now there are other scriptures that says ask for anything in my name and it shall be given to you. But there again you have the Lord forming the request. God is inside forming our prayer request so that he can answer it as he has requested it. He's molded our character. That's what he's interested in. He's interested in shaping our character to conform to Christ. So watch. God knows, first of all, that when we ask, many times, it's not out of a need, it's out of a hunger. Do you know, Columbia University did a study and found out that 50% of all family arguments happen the hour before supper time. Something tells me that we're not arguing about issues, we're just hungry, you know? It's not the issue that's important, we're just out of sorts because we're hungry, You know, I bet 50% of our prayers are not about issues, they're about hunger. I'm empty inside, I want something. I'm empty inside, I'm angry. I feel a great need, give me something. You know, it's not, this is what I think would really complete my Christian life. Many times, when we pray for somebody else, it's not for their spiritual welfare, it's for their relief it's for their rescue it's for whatever immediately comes to my mind come to our mind lord they have a broken foot heal it nowhere in there is there lord they have a broken foot teach them what you would have them know during this time if you would have them see it immediately healed heal it immediately if you would have them develop the patience that it takes to have a bro, do that. If you want to develop in them, if, you want, if, you, if they need to slow down, I can't think of a better way. Leave that cast on there three years. See if it works, you know? But see, what we pray for each other is what comes to our mind as immediately, I mean, we pray, we pray some stupid prayers. You know that? I mean, idiotic. But we ask for dumb things. We really do. I heard a story one time. i tell you what prayer, prayers of some of us are like. And I include myself in this category. This young couple went into a, um, a bank. they just gotten married and asked for a short-term loan. And, and the guy says, well, how much do you want and what is it for? And, and the gal said, well, we don't need very much, just enough until we get some credit cards. And I'm thinking, that's kind of like our prayer life, you know. Just give me until I can borrow from somebody else, you know. Don't develop any responsibility here. I just want a source of, you know, give me money where I don't have to pay it back or I don't have to earn it beforehand. See? Somebody, <laughs> I was talking. Beck and I were talking with a couple of friends of ours in the church the other day, and we were talking about the church newsletter. Just to show you, I'm, the point here is, if God doesn't govern govern the giving, sin. Will govern the asking, you see. We are so selfish in our asking. We are so self centered in our asking that we will always ask for things that are not of God. And God doesn't want to give us things that are not of God, see? So He has to govern the asking. I'm laughing because, I, you know, as, as pastor, I get some crazy suggestions, you know. And uh, But you don't want to stop the suggestions. You want suggestions. Um, somebody not too long ago um, said, I, I got a great way to raise funds for the church. Always people have a great way to raise funds for the church. And I say, always, we don't do fundraisers here. God provides. That's it, you know. But they always have good ways. And so I said, well, you know, I, want, I, want, I don't want to be closed. So I said, well... If you would take this land back here, you got land back here, and you and people die, you know, and they want to know where to be buried. If you would build a cemetery back here, then we could raise a lot of money. <laughs> I'm thinking, mm. But see, you don't want to discourage that. You want to and, and, and the, what I started laughing about the other day, so we were talking about the, the newsletter, and, and I just I think. Our newsletter is—I just—it's one of the best newsletters I've ever seen, you know. But you always want to improve, so we were kidding, kidding around with a couple, you know, and they were saying, "Well, how could we?" Or we were saying, "How could we improve that newsletter?" And one, of, and the guy said, "Well, I think you would increase the circulation significantly if you put out a swimsuit issue." <laughs> no, no, not a good idea. He was kidding, of course, but I, I'm just saying that. But then he went on with some great, great suggestions. Well, God doesn't want to discourage our prayer. What happened here? <laughs> He's mad because of the swimsuit thing, isn't he? He doesn't want to discourage our prayer. He, if we continue to pray, we will come up with some good stuff because his spirit continues to lead us. But what he wants to teach us is that the kind of thing I want to give you has a reflection in your character. And I want to give you the time to be able to ask for things you really want. Because, folks, sometimes we pray for things we think we want. We don't want those things. If God would give us those things, we would be in a heap of trouble. So I want to give you the time to pray for the things you really think you want. And I want to give you a gift, whether or not you thought you wanted it. 1 Corinthians 12, 11, And he distributed them as he will. When I was growing up, again, my parents were basically conservative financially. <laughs> How's that? We wouldn't want to defame them. But I didn't get a lot of the stuff I asked for. But one of the things I did get from my parents was a college education. Now, I didn't especially want a college education when I was in high school. tell you the truth, I wasn't too thrilled about going to school, and the thought of going x teen numbers more years did not thrill me. And so every once in a while, I would look at my mom. She would say, I'm going to give you a college education. I would look at my mom and say, what if I don't want a college education? And my mom would look at me and say, I'm giving you a college education. I'd say, but what if I don't want to go to college? I am giving you a college education. Do you read do you read what I'm saying here? My mom weighed about 90 pounds, but she could have taken any wrestler in the world. She was the toughest little thing you've ever seen. And so I backed down, totally intimidated, and say, thank you for the college education. Well, it turns out she knew what she was talking about. The unemployment rate for college-educated people right now is 1.7. For people who have a um, three, one to three years, it's 3.7. For people who have a high school degree, it is um, 5.4. And for people who have dropped out of high school, it's 9.4. The average person um, going to who has a college degree earns $10,000 more a year than the person who does not have a college degree. I didn't want that college degree. She gave to me as she willed. And it turned out to be a gift that strengthened me for the rest of my life. See? Now I had the freedom not to accept that gift. Each one of us has the freedom not to accept what God is giving you. You really do. But what God is giving you won't make you more dependent. It will make you more in love with Him. And it will be like the Holy Spirit... That is a continual source of strength. The gift that continues to give. See? That's how God gives. Now, I know and I can sense from my preparation for this message and from what was spoken before the service and before the message that some of you have given up on your prayer life. You're discouraged because you have not gotten the things yet that you prayed for and you and you really believed that they were of God. You really believed you need them. You really believed that they should have come before now. Maybe some of you like me have put God to the test. And you said, Lord, I want this by this date. If you, if you are who you say you are, you give it by this date. And that date came and went. And so doubt has cropped up in your heart. Because you couldn't see any reason why he wouldn't give it to you. From your perspective, it was something that was good for you and him. Or it was something good for you and other people. Let me encourage you this morning. God is not a God of the past. Don't dwell on that. God is calling you into the future. The perspective he will give you is not the perspective you have right now. The gifts that he will give you are not exactly the things that you asked for in the dimension that you ask for them but they will be a reply to what you ask for and they will be greater than anything you ever could have asked for be persistent continue to go to him and then watch for his answers he's not kidding when he says everyone everyone who knocks the door will be opened Everyone who seeks shall find. Everyone who asks, it will be given. He's not kidding. But let him teach us. Let him mold our characters. Let him give to us as he will. If the answer is immediate and exact, wonderful. Don't ever deny him that. I had a prayer confirmation. You know, I mean, last week when I had a word of knowledge, that person came up right after the service and said, thank you, that was for me. I mean, it was just a me. But the person never could have come up, and I knew that it was from the Lord anyhow. I knew he was working something out for somebody else. Let that be like your prayer life. God will give you what He wants if you are open to Him, if you are persistent with Him, and if you let Him be God and you not. Let's have some time for prayer this morning. Let God lay something on your heart to pray about. And take that or that person to Him and say, Lord, I am bringing this person to you. Specifically, this is what I believe I would love for you to do in this situation. But let me see whatever you specifically do so that I will know that your will has been done. Would you pray with me? Lord, as we come to you, some of us sitting where we are, some of us on our knees at the altar because we can pray better on our knees. Let us offer to you things we have not offered before or the things that we have given up on because of our own narrow perspective. Teach us what you would have us ask. Mold our inner being so that our concentration is not on the answer, but on you. You are who we seek, ultimately. Let you be who we seek in our prayer life. Listen to us now as we come. If you have your Bibles with you, would you turn, please, to the 11th chapter of Luke. And we will continue with the series on reading the red, <clears throat> the words of Jesus. Beginning with verse 5, God's word says this. And he said to them, suppose... Now this word in Greek is would be transliterated into, in, translated into their mind. Can you imagine that? And then he gives them a circumstance that they've all experienced. You know, it doesn't take a whole lot of imagination. And you've experienced this too. <clears throat> One of you has, a, well, you know, somebody, he's, he's going to talk about people just dropping in on you. You who live between Disney World and the rest of the nation. You've had this, haven't you? Somebody comes down the pike and just says... You know, it's been 20 years since we've seen them. We've got a few extra days. Let's stop and remember and see if they know who we are. And they ring the doorbell and they go, hello. And they wait for you to guess their name. It is excruciating, isn't it? Suppose, you 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 can relate to this. One of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me Three loaves. Now, this is a friendship kind of land. You never expect to get anything back for it, you know. Um, how, many, how many of you neighbors go to a neighbor and say, "Would you, can I borrow a cup of sugar? Do you ever take the sugar back? You know, do you? Well, good for you. <laughs> Man, I'm some sort of scrounge. <laughs> for a friend of mine has come to me from a journey. Now, in Greek, the word is off. Come to me off of a journey, and, it, and, 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 and the picture is he fell off his journey and landed on me. That's that's the word picture that you get in Greek. He fell off his journey and he landed on me. In other words, I've got his full weight, and I was totally unprepared. When people show up at your house, don't you try to usher? You keep, try to keep one room in order. Try to usher them in there, you know, and then say, "What am I going to do for supper? I'm dying." Well, how are the kids? Well, that's the position this guy was in. And it's midnight. 7-11? What are you going to do? I have nothing to set before him. Now, in America, it is not the worst thing in the world not to feed unexpected guests. The Hebrews... The Jewish society, it was the worst thing. All of them were grandmothers. Remember when you used to go to your grandmother? What's the first thing she did? Tell you what's in the house to eat, doesn't she? You hit the door and she goes, well, now we got stuff out here. And I said, what do we got now? we got brownies, we got Twinkies. We got... Well, and there's ham. There's sliced ham out there. And you're on your way out. Hey, there's popsicles in there. And that's what you did. That's how she showed her love. Well, guess what? That's how they are. They don't have anything, you know. You know that you and your family can live on cereal and peanut butter and so on and so forth. But when a guest comes, hey, how about a bowl of Frosty Flakes? How about a you know? <clears throat> and usually what's in the, in the house is something ridiculous like fruity Captain Crunchers or whatever it is. And so anyhow, from inside he shall answer and say, do not bother me. Now here is the contrast between the Lord and this person. There is a contrast. But the contrast is not that the guy jumps up and offers him freely anything he wants and then Jesus says, well, how much more will your Heavenly Father do? If, you know, if, if humans can do that, how much more does your Heavenly Father, is your Heavenly Father going to be able to do that? That's not the contrast. The contrast comes with the word bother. This person is bothered. The Father is never bothered to hear us. The word bother in Greek is used in other places in, the, in, the, uh, um, in Scripture to, work, to, to mean toil or work, see? Um, and what the Scripture is trying to say to us is it is no work for God to hear our request. This is how much more can your Father receive your request? It's not work for Him. He wants to hear your request. However, let me go on. The door has already been shut. My children and I are in bed and the bed were mats rolled out on the floor. And so in order to go to the door, unbolt the door and get what he wanted, he'd have to crawl all over all the kids and wake them up and so on and so forth. And I cannot get up and give you anything, i.e., without waking my whole family up. I tell you, this is Jesus talking again, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, didn't do it on the basis of friendship. Didn't do it on the basis of relationship. Yet because of his persistence, he's going to wake the kids up anyhow. Because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. And I say to you, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened. It's a continuous process. Keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep knocking until. All right? The emphasis here is persistence. For everyone, here comes the promise: Who asks, receives; receives what? It doesn't say. Everyone who seeks finds; finds what? It doesn't say. Knocks, and it shall be opened. Now, suppose one of your fathers, one of you fathers, is asked by his son for a fish. Will he not give him a snake instead of a fish? Will he? That is the worst sentence in Greek to translate you've ever seen it is an absolute mess that's why it's constructed as it is it comes as close without destroying the Greeks all the Greek words as is possible or if he has asked for an egg he will not give him a scorpion will he if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children how much more shall your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him I want to talk about prayer this morning. When I was going through my Christian growth, and I still am going through it, but there were two distinct periods in my Christian growth. One, when I first became a Christian, I was a a, um, a rationalist. I believed that if you went to Scripture and picked it apart bit by bit and analyzed all of it, You would come to know God. You would come to know His will. And if it wasn't in Scripture, I didn't want to hear about it. Because the book was my God. And if it didn't say it in there, I'm sorry, I didn't hear it. God could not speak to me in my prayer life. He could not speak to me unless I was taking something directly from Scripture and putting it into practice according to the way the scripture said. It never occurred to me that I might have too narrow a view of scripture for God really to speak fully to me. What did occur to me was that I had several friends who had a rich, full life in the Lord. And here my prayer life was withered up. I would get into these discussions about scripture with people and we would, we would discuss doctrine after doctrine after doctrine after doctrine, but my prayer life was nothing because I had no personal relationship with God, only a theological relationship with God. Well, then I got into the other group. You know, I've never done anything halfway. And most of my friends were charismatic, and they had a very personal, friend, personal relationship with God, and I went through that, see? And everything was personal, and everything was spontaneous, and everything was experiential. And if it didn't match up with Scripture, well, it probably would because it had to be of the Lord, see? And so whatever my experience was, was God. If I experienced it or I saw it, it was valid. And my prayer life was as narrow as it had ever been, except I wasn't on the end where I didn't pray for much. I was on the end where I prayed for everything, and I expected it right then. And it was at that time that I came into the, one of the most pernicious doctrines of all Christianity, one of the most pernicious theologies, and that's the name-it-and-claim-it theology. I came into a theology that exercises about half of Scripture. Both of those movements exercised about half of Scripture. And anytime you have to leave Scripture out to justify your position, you're in trouble. It's kind of like uh, the little boy who said, boy, I'd give my left arm to be ambidextrous. You know, anytime you have to leave scripture out to to attain the whole truth, the whole truth isn't going to do you any good because you just left half of it out. So my prayer life went through this name and claim of theology. And I became disappointed with God. And I became embittered. Well, I couldn't admit it, you know. When you're a preacher, you can't admit that stuff. And I started blaming God. And I started blaming me, see. And I thought, what is prayer all about if you can't get what you want? Enter this scripture. God does not want to teach us what we can have he wants to teach us who He is. He wants to teach us who we are. God does not care nearly as much about what we have as about who He is, who we can be together. That's what He wants to teach us. It took me a long time to come down to that, but it all made sense. I mean, those other two parts were not invalid. They were valid, but it had to come to the place where common sense dwelt with a personal relationship with God that let him be God and me be not God. Now, when Scripture says, excuse me, when Scripture says that we are to be persistent instead of presuming on our relationship with God, it's saying this to us. That the relationship with, that we have with God through Jesus Christ, and if you don't have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, you don't know who he is personally. That's who God is. But the relationship we have with God through Jesus Christ gives us access. It does not automatically give us results. Let me say that. And you might want to write this down because I've got it written down for you. The relationship we have with Jesus Christ simply gives us access. It does not make us co-God. It does not make us automatic possessors of what God has. There's a step that's missing in there. When you were growing up, remember, did you ever find out how much your mom and dad made? Have they ever do that? Looked at their checks or something to figure it out? My, my, my family was very private about how much they made. They didn't tell. But one day I overheard. And my dad made, he worked at a factory. My dad made $10,000 a year. And I thought that was the most money I'd ever heard of in my whole life. And for the next three days, I thought, I'm this guy's son. There is not a want that i have in the world that i can't have because my dad makes this kind of money and so <clears throat> i asked my dad for a baseball mitt i was you know i was going on a baseball team i needed a baseball mitt he makes ten thousand a year Pfft, he can afford a baseball mitt so we went downtown <clears throat> in the car and I was thinking to myself, he's always, buy, he's always bought used cars. I mean, I know he's got the rest of this socked away somewhere. <laughs> and so I should have a baseball mitt with diamonds in it or something. Well, all of the kids bought their baseball mitts at Clancy's, uh Sporting Goods Store, where they had the Rawlings and the Spaldings and, you know, all the real good, you know, Willie Mays basket mitts, you know, as big as your head. You could catch somebody's head in a mitt like that. And so here we go toward Clacy's Sporting Goods store. And I was thinking, baby, I'm going to get the biggest, nicest mitt. I'm going to go out on that field and everybody's going to go, look at Hunter's mitt. I will not even have to play baseball. I'll just put my mitt out there. and My mitt will catch everything. (laughs) And we were riding down. Went right past Clacy's. On for another half mile, and he parked in front of the Western Auto store. <laughs> now, for those of you old timers that can remember Western Auto, it mostly dealt in auto parts. It had a few sporting goods. I mean, they had everything. General, you know, it was kind of the general store. And I couldn't remember what, what the name of the mint was that they, that they carried. A guy I remembered this morning is J.J. Higgins. It was just a little, little bitty. Kind of like a Ty Cobb mitt. You know, remember those old... <laughs> so we went in there and I was trying them on and I didn't want to presume on my dad, you know. I, you know, it's, I, was, I was respectful enough not to want to ask for anything. I didn't want to say, Dad, this mitt's so cheap! I'm going to be so embarrassed Buy me a good mitt! So I said, Dad... You know, they've got some really good mitts up at Clasey's Sporting Goods. And my dad looked at me and said... What's wrong with that mint? Whew. I said, oh, nothing. Yeah, this it, is a good mint. I, I, I can use this. So we bought this mint. And I walked out of the store. And I was thinking, this guy is probably one of the richest people in the whole world. And here I got a $1.25 baseball mint. But you know, I went out that season. Nobody made fun of my baseball mint. It did work all right. And I learned one of the most important lessons of my whole life. And that is that if I don't have the best of everything, sometimes that's much better for me because I don't need the best of everything. I could not have learned that lesson without my father, my dad, teaching me that that was okay. That was okay. That's all I needed. Our father owns cattle on a thousand hills, doesn't he? How many times do you say that? How many times do you say, I'm a king's kid? I'm a wealthy kid. Try and get him to sell a few for you. He's not going to do it unless it is what you need for the development of your character because God's not nearly as taken with your possessions as he is with your character. Therefore, it is not right to presume on our relationship with God. Well, I'm your son. Well, you promised here, you know. So, therefore, everything you have is mine, and I want mine now. It's not right to presume on that relationship. And sometimes... If he gives it to you like he gave it to the prodigal son, like that parable, you're going to wish he hadn't. got to watch what you pray for. We'll get into that in a minute. But the word here is, not because of his friendship that he gave it to him. What he wants to teach us, one of the things he wants to teach us is perseverance, persistence. Keep coming to me because I want you to know that the important thing about your prayer life is not what, but who. Is not these, but us. That's what I want. And so it's because of that persistence that I won't answer all your prayers immediately. I won't do it. God knows that A, we don't need everything immediately because that teaches us all wrong about the world. God wants to hear us ask. Now, my, my kids are getting in a great stage because now when they ask for stuff, we can sit down and have a talk. <laughs> they don't think it's a great stage. I think it's a great stage. <laughs> when they ask for stuff, we can sit down and I can say, let me tell you about how the world operates. A little philosophy here, you know. Now, half the time, I know that if their eyes were open, they'd be rolling them. I know that bores them silly, but the important thing that I want my kids to learn out of every request is the general principle of how they can live a full life in the world. It's not the specific that's important, it's the general principle that's important. My kids don't know half the time what they're asking. I mean they they do, they know specifically what they want. But they don't know how it's going to affect them on down the line. That's not their job, you know? That's not their job to be able to estimate that. It's not our job to be God. It's not our job to know specifically what we're asking for and how that's going to affect us on down the line. That's God's job. But what he wants to do is teach us in our asking how that's going to happen. Now, we ask for crazy things. I mean, you've got to admit we are sinful people. And sin invades our prayer life. It just does. And so therefore, God has to govern what he gives us. We can't govern what he gives us. We don't even know how to ask. And the things that we ask for, if we got half of them, we'd be miserable. I heard a story about a uh, young couple, just married, went into a uh, bank and said they needed a short-term loan. And the banker asked the questions, well, okay, um, how much do you need and what do you need it for? And the, and the wife piped up and said, Well, we don't need much. We just need us enough to tide us over until we can get some credit cards. But yeah, real dangerous, huh? Believe it or not, that's half of our prayer life. Well, I just need fix here. I need a fix here. I need a fix here until I can ask you for more. I don't know what I'm going to need on down the line. I'll ask you for it then. That's a dangerous kind of prayer life to have. Real dangerous. Half the time we look at stuff and think of stuff that will get us excited and we think is wonderful and it seems like a good idea at the time. You know? Lord, her foot's broken. Heal it. That's our prayer. That's the automatic prayer. None of this, does she need to learn patience? Does she need to slow down? Does she, you know, what would you teach her during this time? If somebody's hurt, automatically we want God to heal it. Lord, they're having marriage trouble. They're separated. Reconcile them. Wait a minute. Stop it now. What do they need to learn before they get back together? If God brings them right back together, is it going to be any better? God has something to teach both of them. Why don't we pray for that? In Scripture, if you will turn to... The men's group just read this the other day. I can't remember. I think it's in Philippians. What was that passage we were reading? Paul prayed for... His prayer for them was so mature. (laughs) I can't find it. I should never do this. 1-9... Philippians, yeah, great. They were, going through a, they were going through a real rough time in Philippi. Look for, look for at Paul's prayer. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. Where is there any relief in that? He's looking for spiritual maturity. There's other prayers in Philippians that look for spiritual maturity. That's what God wants to teach us. Um, The other day we were talking about, uh, you know, this Jeremiah passage. I love this Jeremiah passage. It says, the heart is wicked above all who can... Discern its wickedness, or something. I haven't got it right down, but it's just it talks about the perversion of the heart. When we pray, that perversion gets into what what we wish for. That perversion gets in there, and so God has to govern what He gives. Uh, We were talking about the. uh, (laughs) This is funny. This is let me drop out of seriousness here for a second. We were talking about the newsletter and uh, talking with some friends of ours about how to improve the newsletter. I think we got a great newsletter, but it can always use improvement. And um, so we were sitting and sharing ideas, and and the guy said, Well, i tell you, what would really significantly increase the uh, circulation uh, is if you put out a swimsuit issue. (laughs) Probably won't do that. But our hearts are always hoping for something that will uh, titillate. Can I use that word? I probably better not because it's such an onomatopoeia or whatever that word. Never mind. Um, What God is saying to us is that I cannot automatically answer your prayers. I want to teach you to come to me again and again. I cannot teach you that you know what is good for you because so many times you don't. I cannot teach you that I am your servant because I am not. I cannot respond to you in your prayer life Many times, by what you request, I can only respond to you by what I am ready to give to you at the time, and you may not even want it. I learned where most of my parents' money went when it came time for college. They wanted to give me a college education. Well, many times in high school, I didn't want it. My mom told me my whole high school career my gift to you is your college education. And I would say, what if I don't want to go? And my mom would say, my gift to you is your college education. And I would say, what if I get there and I don't study? And my mom would get right up in my face. (laughs) My gift to you is your college education. Well, she knew what she was doing, didn't she? She gave me a gift that was so good it could continually give to me. The unemployment rate for a college graduate today is 1.7. For a person that has had one to three years of college, it is 3.7. For a person that has a high school degree, it is 5.4. And for a person that does not have a high school degree, it's 9.4. The average college graduate earns $10,000 more a year than someone who's not graduated from college. Mom knew what I needed, and she gave it to me. Now, I had the option. I could have flunked out if I wanted to. I had the option not to accept it. You have the option not to accept the gifts that God gives you, but he knows better what you need than you do. And he can work off specific requests as we make them. Most of our requests are made from our own hunger. Do you know that Columbia University did a study? 50% of all family fights start in the hour right before dinner. They're not talking about issues. They're hungry. They're edgy. They're mad. Half of our prayer life is because not because we have some big theological issue or we think we know what's best. is because we're hungry and we're mad and we're edgy. And there's something going wrong in our life, and we want it filled up. So give it to me. That's why our, our prayer life is with God. Well, we react out of hunger. God reacts out of His love. He says, in 1 Corinthians 12:11, that there are certain gifts that He distributed as He will, and that is the way with His good gifts. In response to prayer. There is nowhere in here. That promises you will get exactly. What you prayed for immediately. Now there are parts in the Bible that says. Anything you ask for. Ask whatever you will in my name. And it shall be given to you. In my name though. Means that we have the nature of God. In us making the request. It is God himself. Who is making the prayer for himself, and to himself. What he will not answer immediately are our prayers that will harm us. What if I went to Rob Robertson or Bob Helmling? You know I like to work out, and I said, you know, I'm tired of waiting for my family to get poison ivy, so I'm going to have part of their steroids. Why don't you give me some? Well, the first time I went, they might be pretty embarrassed and say... I can't do that. I can't do that. But what if I continued to go to them in persistence? And I said, come on. You know, just give, me, just give me a couple of weeks. I just want to see what it'll do. I want to see how it'll build up my body. You know, it's a 40-year-old body. It can't do much. I'd like some, you know, big ripples and some. Come on, you know, as your pastor. Laughter See, if I kept that up, both of them would have the good sense. The more we had a relationship to sit down with me and say, honey, oh, you got this body thing all out of whack. You know, you do not have the right perspective. It's not that important. Let me tell you what can happen to your body. And besides, where are your values? You're my pastor. I look up to you. I don't want to see you on drugs God does the same thing. When he does not answer a prayer, it's not because he's not listening, it's because he's trying to teach us something. Teach us something about our request. Teach us something about looking for an answer that we may not have thought it would have been there. Well, I don't have any big ending for this. I, I just want you to continue today in your prayer life somebody before the first service came and had a word they believed from the Lord for the body and my witness spirit, my, my spirit witnessed she said that God would say to us today I am not the God of your past I am the God who wants to make a fresh start with you I am the God of your future Come with me today. Lead you. Let me lead you as we go into our future together. You feel that? Some of you have given up on your prayer life. You said, I don't know how to pray. When I pray, it doesn't get results. I can't see the results. I don't know that God has ever answered a prayer of mine. And so you say, I'll just go and I'll learn as much as I can and just be as good a Christian as I can because I know He wants me to do that. Don't give up. Don't give up. Keep going to the Father. Keep going to the Father. God does not want you to ever give up a prayer request, nor looking for its answer. The scripture is very clear everyone who asks will get answered, everyone who seeks will find, everyone who knocks on the door, it will be opened. Well, what will it turn out to be? I don't know. But I know that if our eyes are open, we will see what God has done. Sometimes it does come immediately. If it does, don't be surprised. <laughs> Sometimes when you ask for healing, you will get it immediately because God sees that's your need and that will not harm your maturing process at all. Sometimes when you ask for something for someone else, they will be, it will be supplied immediately. That's okay. But I want you today, as I persist in saying this to you over and over and over again, you hear this? I'm not going to get done until I sense it's sunk in. I'm not going to quit until I sense that a good number of you hear this. I want you to pray again and again and again and again. I want you to persist with God be as specific as you like. As specific as you like. And then watch what God does. When I was a pastor in my last church, Mary Jane, a good friend of mine. Anybody who talks Kentucky in can talk with her. <laughs> she, is, she is a lovely, but she'll remember this. There was, a, there was a parcel of land right behind our church. And I used to run around that Every day. And claim it. You know, I claim it. Say, Lord, this is your land. Because, see, we wanted to build a community center on it. What could be wrong with that? This is your land. I claim it for your use. Well, I did that every day for three years. And the Presbyterians bought it. And I thought, well, that's it. I just wasn't specific enough. I said, I should have claimed it for the Methodists. You know, I should have done that. That wasn't the point. The point was that God had a plan. And he worked out the release of that plan in that prayer. And when the Presbyterians bought that church, I should have celebrated all over the place because God was working out his plan, you see. He was responding to that prayer. That's what you need to start. Today, if you have a prayer that you have persisted in over the years, don't give it up. Don't give it up. Unless you know it's not in God's will, don't give it up. But watch what God does with it. And today, if there's something that you wanted to pray about, you feel the need to pray about. But you haven't had the courage because your prayer life isn't much. Start right now. And don't give it up. I'm up here because I had a grandmother who prayed for me every day of her life. And she gave me to the Lord when I wasn't giving myself to the Lord. And I'm telling you, I'm here because of her prayers. There's no doubt in my mind. But boy, what I put her through before I ever, ever showed any signs of God having anything to do with my life. Don't give it up. Don't give it up. Let's spend some time in prayer. Rick, would you come and play a little something while we pray and just let God show you what to pray for today and to pray for consistently. As usual, the altar is open. Any of you who can pray better on your knees, come up and pray on your knees. If you feel more comfortable, and you can communicate better where you are, do that. Let's begin a time of prayer. Lord, please show us right now what you would have us pray for. Help us not just to take off on our own bent, on our own ideas, seeking our own will or what would satisfy us emotionally. Let us commend to you right now people who need you in your way, not in ours. And circumstances that need you, help us not manipulate. Help us not think of any way to set ourselves in the middle. But let us put you in the middle and then stand and watch you work listening for your call, but not having to have it. As we tell you that we love you and that you are great, hear us now.